Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs tonight. We are in Proverbs chapter 15. We'll begin with verse 16. You know, we've spent a lot of time, each one of us in our lives, getting knowledge. Think of the years we've spent in school. Some of you are still in school, and you feel like you've been in school a long time, and you may have some, quite a few more years to go. And uh, But it's not just school. Every, every day uh, we're learning things, and uh, God made us with an inquisitive mind, and we turn to the Internet and sometimes turn to television news and so on, all the, and books and on and on and on to get more knowledge. But we desperately need the next step, which is applying that knowledge to our daily lives, and that's where wisdom comes in. I read of a man that read that 80% of accidents happen within two miles of home. So you know what he did? He moved. <laughs> uh, he had right facts, but the wrong application. He was not wise. Well, the key fact in getting wisdom, or the, or the key fact in getting wisdom is totally ignored by the world, and Pastor Steve referred to it. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says, in both in Psalms and in Proverbs. And after we begin with the fear of the Lord in our life, we are ready to grow in wisdom. And uh, wisdom is that mental frame of reference that enables us to act righteously in all the circumstances of life that God puts us in. Um, turn over to 1 Corinthians. I know we're going to study in uh, Proverbs, and we will, but just to get started, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Does 1 Corinthians chapter 1 sound familiar? I hope so, because Pastor Steve started a series going through 1 Corinthians and is currently in chapter 1. And uh, he's going to preach the last verses of chapter 1 this Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, partly, even more than normal, because um, I uh, have just happened to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1 yesterday in my daily Bible reading, and I was struck by 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 that Pastor Steve will cover Sunday. And uh, it says, and because of him, that is the Lord, you are in Christ Jesus. That's our position. We're in Christ Jesus as a believer who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Each one of those things is very, very great and very special. But I, I was zeroed in on wisdom because I've been preparing this study in the book of Proverbs. And so when we, when we trust Christ is our Savior, repent of our sin, trust Christ of our Savior, um, we have, as God gives us at our salvation, wisdom. Christ is wisdom. and uh, But then we are to grow in wisdom. I'm not going to read the verse, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the Apostle Paul prayed um, for the Ephesians, among other things, that they would grow in wisdom. And that would be his prayer for all believers. And, and we should kind of take a clue 
from that prayer in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Of This is something to pray for us and pray for others. All those things in that prayer. It's a wonderful prayer, including uh, to grow in wisdom. Now, God has given us the book of Proverbs that specifically helps us to grow in wisdom. Now, all scripture helps us to grow in wisdom. But Proverbs is very unique because it just gets into the nitty-gritty and all kinds of different details of life talking to us about what's the wise thing to do in this detail of life. And chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs introduced us to the value of God's wisdom. And we're in chapters 10 to 31, which uh, contains six collections of wise sayings. We're in the first of those six collections, which is in chapters 10 to 22, 375 individual proverbs. And as we've said before, these proverbs are kind of like a... Um, uh, in, in a way, kind of like a buffet that you go to to eat, and there's some of this, and there's some of that, and, and so on. And, and that's what you have in Proverbs, all these different uh, specific applications of wisdom to the details of life, and uh, having to do with money, having to do with friendships, having to do with marriage, having to do with work, you name it and is here in these individual uh, Proverbs. And so we're calling these studies of the individual Proverbs insights into glorifying God in every detail of life. And the individual titles that we have to the Proverbs, I've adapted from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs by Bob Beasley. Well, the first one tonight <coughs> is to prefer poverty and peace to treasure and trouble. And that is in verses 16 and 17. But before we read that, let's stand in honor of the Word of God as I read the entire passage that we will study tonight. Proverbs chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox, and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this first uh, of the Proverbs tonight is prefer poverty and peace to treasure and trouble. And so that, that verse 16 begins, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Now our, our culture promises or promotes the idea of having lots and uh, it, it promotes the idea of having lots of everything. And not just to have lots, but to have the biggest. It, it's just, we, we face that every day of our life, of that culture idea 
being thrown at us. And there used to be a saying, sometimes you'll see it on bumper stickers on cars and so on, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not Bible. That's worldly wisdom, which is really a foolishness. You know, when a man complained to Jesus that he wasn't getting a full share of an inheritance that he was supposed to get, uh, it's told over in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus responded to him. Uh, the man, I'm sure, was hoping, well, Jesus is going to try and say, hey, this, I need to be treated better. But Jesus got to the heart issue of the man. And Jesus said that a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things. And that's, that's part of the framework that we should come to uh, with a verse like this. Now, little, when it says better is a little, uh, that it doesn't mean abject poverty, but it means less than what most other people have. So, I mean, a person could be in total uh, poverty, and certainly this would apply. But for, for most people, they're not in that position, but they don't have quite as much as other people do, and that irks them, is the problem of the people that he's talking about here. So he says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord makes all the difference in the world. And as we've seen, that expression, the fear of the Lord, is, is a key phrase in the book of Proverbs. We see it many times. It's 14 times in this book. And this fear of the Lord, as Pastor Steve mentioned at the beginning, isn't, isn't uh, the fear of eternal punishment, but it's a reverence for God. And uh, it's a deep concern to give God glory and honor that he deserves. And along with it is the dread of doing anything that would offend God and dishonor God. All of that is, is what we, the Bible refers to as the fear of the Lord. Now, the last time we looked at Proverbs, which was um, quite a few weeks ago, uh, we ended with verse uh, 15. And uh, in, in verse 15, he talks about the person with the cheerful heart, the last phrase, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. And we saw that that means they enjoy life despite hard circumstances and so on. Well, the fear of the Lord is what enables that person to, for that to be true in their life. But this proverb goes on, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure. In other words, it's better to trust God with whatever amount of worldly goods that you have than to pursue your own frantic attempts trying to get more and more. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, great verse. Paul wrote, godliness is actually a means of great gain, I'm not here limiting it to the great gain in material things you may or may not. It's talking about the eternal things, things that are even better. And, uh, but godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. That's the hard part when we see this rush to get more and more and more. And there's that emphasis in our country of being discontent that you don't have what everyone else has. But Paul says, when accompanied by contentment, and Paul said 
in Philippians 4.11 that he had learned to be content. It doesn't come natural. Because of our sinfulness, it's natural to be discontent. But Paul says, now that I'm a believer, and he certainly had had a, a dramatic change from a non-believer to a believer, but now that I'm a believer, and I know what it is to grow in the Lord, among part of that is I have learned to be content. It didn't just come automatically, but I have learned to be content. <clears throat> now, I put some some uh, bullets on your, on your sheet there it's concerning... Although there's nothing inherently wrong with earthly wealth, we should know God's warnings. God has warnings about the dangers that can come with earthly wealth. For instance, earthly wealth is elusive and often takes wings, that, that is, flies away. Have you, have you read that, that verse in Proverbs 23, verse 5, talking about riches, and, and it just seems like they take wings and fly away, especially in these days of inflation. We know something of that. You get your paycheck, and it just doesn't stretch far enough. You have this money in your bank account. Wow, that looks good, but then... A week later, you look, where did it all go? Uh, that uh, eternal wealth is elusive and takes wings. Secondly, earthly wealth can become an idol. That is a huge problem. Where God wants to be first in our thoughts, first in our desires. And it is so easy to have a transition from, from that being God to being wealth and material things. Third one, the love of earthly wealth is the root of all kinds of sins. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. Someone was mentioning to me yesterday who was part of our church and came to salvation as an adult, did not grow in a Christian home and was talking about all the the misquoting of scripture that uh, he remembers growing up with, particularly from his mother. And he gave this one as a specific answer. My mother always said, the Bible says, that, that money is the root of all evil, forgetting that it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, then another one, earthly riches can bring trouble to one's household because of the sinfulness that we were born with, covetousness, envy, pride. And, oh, this is good. Earthly riches never seem to satisfy. The more you have, the more you want. Um, years ago, those who are young wouldn't uh, have any knowledge of this, but years ago, there used to be lots of ads on television for cigarettes. And they were banned quite a few years ago. Not the cigarettes, but the ads. And there was one particular brand that advertised, oh, take this brand of cigarette, it satisfies. And yet, that was so crazy. If, if, the, if it satisfies, they would run out of money because you wouldn't be buying more, you know, that, that contradicted themselves. And uh, that's the way it is with all earthly riches. The more you have, the more you want. Well, he continues in verse 16 in saying, 
than great treasure and trouble with it. The Hebrew word that's translated trouble uh, describes catastrophe, uh, disaster, extreme uh, discord. This is what can happen when we accumulate great treasure that isn't God's design for our life. And so be careful in accumulating material things, is what this prophet is, uh, pro proverb is saying. And make sure that these things that you are wanting are what God wants for your life, not just to satisfy fleshly desires and fleshly lusts. The next verse complements this. Better is a dinner of herbs. Um, vegans love that verse, you know. Uh, better is this uh, uh, dinner of herbs than a wonderful dinner with meat. Well, what this verse is talking, uh, other translations translate uh, that, that phrase, a dinner of herbs, to uh, a dish of vegetables. And that's in contrast to expensive meat. Now, the thing is, from, from in, in the days of, of the writing of Proverbs, uh, the dinner of herbs was the kind of the normal meal of average people. If, if you were not rich, uh, unless you were raising your own meat, uh, you in that culture couldn't afford meat every day. And so it was very, very common to have a dinner of vegetables. And uh, he's not describing there a person who is destitute, but a person that that is their normal daily food. But here's his point. Better is a dinner of herbs. You know, and it certainly has vitamins and minerals and can be nourishing. But better is that where love is. That's the key. Love for others while you're eating it. That's the idea. So you're sitting at the table with some other people and you're having this dinner of vegetables. And your neighbor next door is indulging in prime rib. But, you know, if, if you're sitting around that table and sharing in love with the people there, that is better than what that neighbor is, is going through. That love makes a big difference. Uh, unselfish love is part of the life of the wise person, the believer. It's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit for the believer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. But as contrast to that is the next part of the verse, then a fattened ox and hatred with it. A fattened ox. That refers to a meal with meat that is kind of reserved for special occasions. Can you think of a special occasion, special dinner, uh, in the New Testament, it talks about the fatted calf, Terry. Prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal son came home and the father's, and of course the prodigal son is saying, I, I, I don't deserve to be treated as your son. I be, deserve to be treated as a hired, hired hand. And the father says, nonsense. And he calls the servants and he says, get the fatted calf ready. We're having a banquet tonight. We're having a dinner tonight. So that's kind of the idea. How different from the daily, ordinary uh, 
dish of vegetables than a fattened cat, fattened ox, and hatred with it. In other words, when you look at these two parts, it is saying that relationships are more important than wealth. All kinds of people have wealth, and boy, have they blown relationships. But relationships are more important than wealth. Now, this verse does not extol vegetarianism about above eating meat. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, if anything, it's the opposite. It's saying all things being equal. Now, this proverb points to the desirability of the meal with meat as long as it is in an atmosphere of unselfish love. And that makes all the difference in the world. Second proverb tonight is in verse 18. Be a peacemaker. Look at verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Hot-tempered man, this is a hard issue, uh, not a personality issue. There are some people that do seem to have a personality that's kind of that way, but it's, it's not a personality issue. It boils down to a heart issue. There is anger in the heart that comes from selfishness. Selfishness is part of the sinful, sinful nature that we were born with. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Love is patient and kind, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable, and so on. You read all those things there. It's, uh, uh, it, it, it's the opposite of this hot-tempered man. But the hot-tempered man, uh, it says, stirs up strife. He, this person lashes out at uh, others verbally and sometimes physically. And that is always sinful. To lash out in anger verbally or, or physically is always sinful. Remember back in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, says there are six things that God hates, yea, seven. And that's a very significant passage where it actually specifically says, hey, here are some things that God hates. And the very uh, last one, in, in, in the seventh one in that list, is one who sows discord among brethren. And that's what this is talking about. Now, this person lets anger smolder like an ember uh, in a fire, just smoldering beneath the surface. And, and if you've done much with fires, campfires, or a fireplace at home, you've seen this. So the, the fire has kind of burned down, and you're not seeing all these flames, but there's some embers there. And they're, they're going red, but they're not very prominent. <coughs> but with a little fanning of the fire... They get big. And that's his point here. Um, Charles Bridges, who wrote one of the classic commentaries on Proverbs back in uh, the 19th century, said in his commentary here, some persons make it their occupation to sit by the fire. That would be the fire of angry thoughts. To feed and fan, <clears throat> and fan the flame lest it be extinguished. This hot-tempered man is like that. 
I like it, just sitting beside, beside the fire, looking for an opportunity to stir it up. This person is a threat to peace in the family, peace in the church, peace in his community, peace where he works, because he's doing this. And that's why the book of Proverbs warns over and over again about the sin of anger. But look at the next part of the proverb. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Now Charles Bridges, in his commentary, continues now with this idea of this person that is uh, slow to anger. Uh, He continues, what then is the Christian's exercise? Not to stir up wrath, but to pacify it, to bring water, not fuel to the fire, by a gentle answer. Where did he get that phrase, gentle answer? It happens to be from the first verse of chapter 15, only with his translation he was using. Uh, it's In the King James, it's gentle answer. ESV, it is soft answer. But he's taking it from from verse 1, and so he says, but by a gentle or soft answer to turn away wrath, by a yielding spirit to melt, subdue, and bring peace. You know, it, it takes a great inner patience and calmness uh, to maintain peaceful relationships, but the Christian is called upon to do that. Don't be one that stirs up strife, but be one that is bringing peace uh, between uh, you and the other person. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The key in doing that is to realize that God is sovereign in all things, and we can submit to his will and know that he is working in the circumstances of our life and that he will never leave us or forsake us. We get angry with, with people because we're not, we're not really realizing that. That God is sovereign in this, these things. Now, these things don't take him by surprise. He's working in our life concerning these things. I mentioned in the message Sunday about just really being blessed as I read that new biography of Corey Tim Boom. And I, and I thought of that with this verse as well, because you read the story of Corey Tim Boom, and boy, was she in situations where it would be the natural thing to lash out in anger. But instead, as a believer with the Holy Spirit, she exercised self-control, and, and that's what every one of us are to do, to put, put water on the fire instead of uh, stirring it up. God commands us to deal with this every day. We can't expect that, well, I, I did that last week, so that should be enough. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So he's saying, do this every day. Don't, 
don't have this anger and then you go to bed and it's still there and it's there the next day and the next day. Deal with it today. We have to deal with it uh, every day. And patience and, of course, self-control are part of this fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But he continues, <clears throat> slow to anger, this one who is slow to anger, quiets contention. John Kitchen, in his excellent commentary on Proverbs, wrote on this, This person's presence is a blanket that suffocated all embers of anger, seeking the oxygen necessary to thrive. We've probably all uh, learned that uh, there are cases where there's a fire, and if you can get a blanket or something and throw over to suffocate the fire, that's one of the ways of fighting a fire. And that's what he's talking about here. This person who is uh, uh, this person who is slow to anger, it's like throwing a blanket on the fire instead of stirring up the embers. That's what he wants us to do. Now, I put in your notes that there are <clears throat> only uh, two ways listed in Scripture to deal with in a godly way with conflict with someone else. So this is part of this being the, the person of self-control, not uh, with anger. The one way is we can overlook the offense. First Peter 4.8 talks about, uh, well, let me turn there just to get it, because uh, it's such an important verse on this. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 about love covering a multitude of sins. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. There are times when people do things that rub us the wrong way. And there are some people, the hot-tempered person, who then, every time that happens, they explode. You see it in families. There'll be family members that do that. And we're told in Scripture there are so many times where that happens, where you're just, because of love, you just overlook that, certainly instead of lashing back at it. But then there are some times where that is not what we're supposed to do, because we have number two when we experience a serious problem with another person. So I'm making a distinction between a problem and a serious problem. You know, someone, um, someone just uh, says some little something that irritates you. That, that would be in that first category. But someone would, out de would, would deliberate sin and so on. Now that's a different situation. When we experience a serious problem, with another person because of their sin. We are to go privately to that person for the purpose of resolving the problem. Matthew 18, 15 talks about that. Your brother offends you. Go to that one and, and uh, deal with it. And then it gives some further steps. If they don't, and this is dealing with, with, with sin that needs to be taken care of, then you bring another person with you, and the two of you uh, confront this person. If they still don't, then take it to the church. That would be to the elders of the church, and there are steps there 
that are talked about. So these two uh, different ways. Now, how do we put this proverb into practice about not being a, a person of, of the wrath, but being a person of self-control and so on? If you are a believer, you have the means within you to restrain anger. What do I mean? We have the Holy Spirit. And uh, God has given us through the Holy Spirit, the power to obey him even in the midst of anger. It's a, it's a matter of obedience to God. And he gives us the power if we will rest in him in this matter. Rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives to control our temper and our anger. Another point, realize God is sovereign in all things, and submit our circumstances to him. Realize that uh, he knows what he's doing. He's in control. This person that is so irritable to us, God has brought into our life. Didn't just happen by accident. He's brought this person into our life. Probably part of the reason is to help us in our sanctification. Another probable reason is to help that person. And then also there's another important point. Yield our rights to God. Anger anger shows us of rights that we're holding on to ourselves. As a Christian, we are to yield all of our rights to God. What, what do I mean by that? Well, everyone has uh, what, what they harbor in their heart as their rights. For instance, a very mundane thing is you're driving and someone is just driving so slowly. You have, you're, you're not thinking in these terms, but you feel you have a right to go fast. And this person is violating your right. And you've got to do something about it. The Bible says we need to yield that right uh, to, to the Lord. Um, you may feel that uh, you have a right that uh, you're going to be on time to everything. And then someone in the family is, seems to always be late, getting ready. And we kind of have that anger inside. We, have, we need to yield that right to the Lord. Our rights are to be yielded to, to the Lord. Someone has described that kind of like Abraham. When God told him to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice, Abraham had to lay Isaac on the altar. And uh, that's kind of a picture of we lay our rights. Uh, Abraham could have felt, I have a right to have this son uh, the, the rest of my life. But he yielded that right. And of course, then God uh, was testing him, didn't, uh, wouldn't let uh, Abraham die. But that's another story. So this is such an important, important uh, proverb. Now, I put in your notes a suggested book on this uh, would be Anger and Stress Management by Wayne Mack. Wayne Mack is a good uh, Bible teacher and uh, uh, knows scripture. And from a scriptural point of view, uh, talks about how to manage anger and stress. And so some of these ideas that I expressed in this part came from 
that book. I'd highly recommend it. Well, the third one, live diligently by faith. And that's in verse 19. <clears throat> the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Now, we've seen the sluggard several times in Proverbs. Saw chapter 6, verse 6, verse 9, chapter 13, verse 4, and we'll see the sluggard again. The sluggard basically is a lazy person, is what we're talking about. Jesus told a parable about a sluggard. Turn to it in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. Now, a talent here is not, oh, I have a talent to sing or play the piano. This was a, a measure of money in those days. And it's hard to really get our handle around how much money it is, but one talent was a lot of money in those days. It's been estimated that today uh, the value of, of one talent would be $800,000. That's a lot of money that he's entrusting uh, to these servants. So in this first one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Kind of interesting. Did it? He knew this this person really has some good ability with investments and so on. So he gave him this much, and someone else doesn't have quite that ability. Gives him less, and so on. Uh, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Uh, I've I've read through the years of some pastors who've done this. In a Sunday message, they pass out an envelope to people in the congregation with some money and challenge them to uh, somehow grow that money in a certain amount of time through some means and then bring that to the Lord. Now, we don't do that, but I've, I've heard of people doing that based on this. And... Um, so verse 18, but he who received the one talent went, and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So he doesn't work at investing it and seeing it increase. He just does the easy thing, digs a hole and put it in the ground. So at least that's going to be preserved. It's not going to be lost. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, 
you wicked and slothful servant. And then he goes on with condemning him. That was a parable concerning uh, this, this terrible trait of being lazy. So what do we, what, what's this doing here? Well, uh, there's a lesson here. The wise person is to be serving the Lord with all of their heart and with the gifts that God has given to them. And we are to be held accountable. God will hold us accountable to how we have served him with the gifts that he has entrusted. But to continue the parable goes on with other things. Uh, he says, but the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Hedge of thorns is an obstacle uh, to uh, to um, uh, getting what we want. Uh, you want to get something that's on the other side of that hedge, but as a hedge of thorns, you just can't reach over and so on. So it's an obstacle. Proverbs is saying his laziness is the hedge of thorns. His laziness is what is preventing him from getting what he what he what he could because he lacked diligence and is lazy. The path before him has become impossible. Now, in those days, a hedge of thorns was used as fencing, fencing a field or something, and so the man the man failed to trim his hedge. He's lazy; doesn't want to exert the energy to to trim the hedge along the path near his house. And so now he can't go anywhere because he, all those thorns. All he can do is sit idly by and complain that he can't get anywhere or do anything. But then here's the contrast. But the path of the upright. <clears throat> the upright is the person that's living God's way, or as we've seen, it's a synonym in Proverbs for the wise person, the believer. Uh, this upright person, laziness is inconsistent with living God's way. But to be upright includes to be diligent. Oh, but notice, it specifically doesn't say uh, the diligent, it says the upright, which is... The contrast that he's building here, the upright, a person that's following God's way, follows God's commands. And the upright, for instance, is steadfast in prayer. Remember last week in the study in Romans, Pastor Steve uh, brought to us in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, strive with our prayers. That's the upright. That's not laziness. And Steve did a, a, a wonderful exposition last week explaining, explaining that. Uh, so this person, the upright, faithfully serves God with the spiritual gifts that God has given him. So he concludes that, and he says, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The upright person, in contrast to the sluggard, has prepared well by working hard. He took care of that hedge, for instance. And the road he travels is one that he can make good time on because it's been taken care of. It's free from obstacles and smooth and paved 
roads that haven't been taken care of uh, cause people to take longer and to have accidents. Well, the bottom line of this proverb for us is uh, that the, the upright do have troubles and obstacles in their life, but they're able to overcome them. They have been diligent in prayer, diligent in obeying God, and they're able to overcome. Uh, turn to Jeremiah, and I think we won't have time for the rest of Proverbs, so we won't have to come back to Proverbs, but turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17.9 is a very famous verse about the heart being deceitful, but two verses in front of it are so good too. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when when heat comes. So this upright person It's not that he never goes through a trial. It's not that he never has drought. But he's able to get through the drought because his trust is in the Lord. So it's like a tree planted by water, sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when he comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bring What a contrast. And then turn to Psalm 112. Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 112, verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. We're we're secure. We're not going to be bending with every wind of doctrine and every trial and so on. We'll never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. Isn't that a great statement? Are you afraid of bad news? You know, sometimes there comes a phone call or something and you just know that it's going to be bad news when you see who it's from or something. And it's so easy to be afraid of bad news. But this person is not afraid of bad news. Why? Because his heart is firm. Trusting in the Lord. That makes the difference. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. What a wonderful picture of the person who's trusting in the Lord. Yes, he has obstacles. Yes, he has problems. Life is not always easy. He's not always rolling in money and so on. But, oh... His trust is in the Lord. He's not full of worry and anger as he is trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Well, time is going by, so we won't won't continue the other two Proverbs, but let's just back up to kind of reinforce in our minds what we are to do with these Proverbs. If you're a Christian, are you growing in wisdom? 
And let's measure our wisdom. How are we growing in wisdom in these areas of these Proverbs? The first one is getting more money and material things and idol in your life. Have to be honest and examine our heart and ask. If the answer is yes, confess that to the Lord and pray about your love of money and material things daily. Bring your concern for that to the Lord every single day, asking him to, to remove that from you and uh, that, not to, that you would be able to resist that temptation and seek to grow in your knowledge of God. Grow in your knowledge of God that you learn that he is sufficient. His plan is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. And then also learn the joy of giving. It's part of the reason God has entrusted us with what we have, is that we would give and be generous. The second proverb tonight, are you a hot-tempered person who often stirs up strife with others? Realize again that God is sovereign and submit to him and know that he is working in all of your circumstances, including those that are bringing out that anger. Don't forget to overlook the offenses that are minor and petty and before exploding in anger. Go to the person that you are angry about to resolve that problem God's way. And then the third, third parable, a third proverb. Are you diligent or lazy? Simple question. Are you diligent or lazy? Pray about ways that God would use you. Look at how God has equipped you with spiritual gifts and talents and so on. And then look for ways that God wants to use you, that you would be diligent in serving him and not be lazy. Well, let's come before God with prayer. Father, <clears throat> We do thank you for these Proverbs covering details of everyday life. And Lord, we deal with money every day. And we deal with a heart that so often has that idol of material things. We deal with circumstances and people that can stir up anger in us. Father, I pray that we would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit resist that temptation to anger. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be diligent, not lazy, in using the gifts that you have given us to serve you. Bless your word to our hearts tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.